verse 66. So this is after Jesus has been arrested and he's standing before the Sanhedrin and Peter has followed at a distance, has entered the courtyard below. So while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. And again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you are talking about. Immediately the cock crowed the second time, and then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him, before the cock grows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. And now let's come across to Acts chapter 4. We skip ahead in time. Uh, Jesus has been crucified and Peter has now witnessed him uh, in his, as resurrected. And in Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter finds himself now standing before the Sanhedrin. Uh, he gives quite a different reaction. Sorry, should have bookmarked it. Uh, Acts chapter 4, and we'll pick up the reading there at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, that is the Sanhedrin, and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. That man was the crippled man, the crippled beggar that uh, Peter and John healed on the way into the temple. And so they ordered Peter and John to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this, in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There is a Peter that we all admire and there is a Peter that we feel ashamed for. But they're the same man, aren't they? A man utterly transformed. We, we wince with shame with Peter as we see him denying the Lord. He, he's, he swore, he, he said that he would rather die than deny Jesus. But when he's bowed up by a young servant girl, he swears again. But this time he calls down curses upon himself and says, I don't know the man you're talking about. And when the cock crows, when the rooster crows, he realises what he's done. And he weeps and we feel his shame. 
And then only about, well, I guess about six, seven weeks later, uh, Peter has been arrested. And this time it's not a mere servant girl who bows him up. This time it's the, the greatest authority in the, or the greatest Jewish authority in the land, the Sanhedrin. And they warn him, him to stop speaking about Jesus in Jerusalem. And Peter says, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's eyes to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Such a, such a transformation. What, what makes the difference? Well, the first Peter, the one that we wince with, only had the resources of his own courage to persevere. Yeah, he had honoured Jesus, he loved Jesus. He, he'd even declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But there were two things missing. The first thing was incontrovertible events that prove that Jesus is who he said he is. And secondly, spiritual power that comes from outside that is more than just you know the, the kind of courage you can screw up yourself from your own resources afterwards in his courageous days peter has seen jesus die on the cross he's seen him be buried seen him rise on the third day jesus alive has spent 40 days explaining from the old testament the God's redemptive plan and, and, and how it came to fulfilment in, in Jesus, in Jesus himself. He has seen Jesus ascend into heaven. He has experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Peter hasn't just you know, screwed up some more courage, learned from his mistakes, maybe gone to a self-assertion seminar. <laughs> Peter has seen the mighty work of God saving his people. And everything has changed. Nothing is like it was before. The powerful work of God has made all the difference. And this same Peter wrote a letter to chiefly Gentile Christians. And let's turn to that letter now. Uh, it's, it's called 1 Peter in our Bibles. Um, 1 Peter and I'll just read verses 1 and 2. Uh, this letter that uh, this same Peter wrote uh, to Gentile Christians who are beginning to suffer persecution. They, they are beginning to uh, see their friends martyred. Uh, they are having all their possessions taken from them. They are being alienated from their families and their friends. They're beginning to ask, is, is it worth being a Christian? Is it worthwhile? Maybe being a Christian is too hard. Uh, Peter knows. Peter knows from his own experience how easy it is to just fold, to just, to just give up, to just deny Jesus when the heat's on. And he writes this letter to encourage the readers who are facing that kind of heat. He writes to them to say, yes, being distinctively Christian is worthwhile, and here's why, and here's how. That's what this letter's about. And, and I, I hope that we're going to spend some time in this letter in the weeks to come. So let's just read from chapter 1, 
1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. How is it for you? These Christians were wondering if being a Christian is worthwhile. Do you think it's worthwhile? Maybe you're not facing life-threatening persecution like these people were, like those people that Phil mentioned in North Korea, like they are. But there is, I know that there is much in our lives that can, that can suck the energy out of our faith. And they can be even more, in, in a way that it's much more subtle than direct persecution, but perhaps it, it's even more dangerous because we don't see it. We don't understand what's happening to us. In your life right now, are you more like the denying Peter or more like the courageous Peter? If you, are like, if you are like the courageous Peter, you know, if you're saying, here I stand, this is what I stand for, is it actually your Christian faith that makes the difference? Or is it something else? How are you coping with trouble right now? What, what will happen when trouble comes in, in greater force? You know, Peter is very realistic. He doesn't he doesn't say that Christians are going to be exempt from trouble. Indeed, becoming a Christian might make your life just a little bit more difficult in some ways. But here's the question. When trouble strikes, what will happen to you? <clears throat> iron ore is very common. It, iron ore makes up about 5% of the Earth's crust. But, but how is the iron extracted from the iron ore? It's done by applying great heat to the iron ore. But it, it's the kind of heat that burns up rubbish but purifies the iron ore. That kind of heat, that's an analogy for the kind of heat that will, that will come into your life. When the heat comes, Will you be burned to a crisp because your life is pretty much just rubbish? Or is there a solid core, a solid iron core of the work of Christ in your life that will make a difference, that will make all the difference? You know, you're, you're young. You're thinking about career. You're thinking about study. Um, is, is there an iron core of faith in your life that, that will direct your thinking? You are looking for a life partner. Does being a Christian make enough difference to you as you make these decisions? Will it affect your choice? Or you're middle-aged, you're dealing with all kinds of priorities, or you're, you, you are chronically ill and can't see the way ahead, or... 
or you're unemployed, or you're dealing with a wayward child, or you're very successful in business, and on and on and on. In these, in whatever circumstances you find yourself, does being a Christian really make a difference? When the heat comes, will it burn you up or will it refine you? Will it make you a a deeper, stronger, richer person? Peter, the, the man who changed from the denying Peter to the courageous Peter, he says that the place to start answering this question is to get a firm grip on your identity. As a Christian, who are you? How does being sure of who you are change the way you deal with trouble? So I'd like us to look at these, three, these two verses here this morning in, in three ways. First of all, who are we? How do we come to be who we are? And thirdly, what difference does that make? So first of all, as Christians, who are we? Who are we? Two words. We are chosen strangers. Chosen strangers. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers, sorry, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now we're not scattered throughout what is now uh, uh, Turkey, but we're scattered throughout Greater Geelong. And what Peter says to these people applies to us. We are chosen strangers. These two words don't go together, do they? You know, strangers, strangers, boat people, refugees, uh, alienated from the environment, separated from their families, unwanted, unloved, at odds with the world. Strangers. But chosen Strangers, chosen. Chosen speaks about privilege, uh, um, uh, being loved, being special, having advantages. Chosen, strangers. Two words that don't belong together at all. But here they are. Peter puts them together and they summarize what we are. Here is what Jesus Christ was when he was on the earth. He was certainly chosen Peter says it a number of times in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Chapter 2, Peter says he was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus Christ was chosen but wasn't he a stranger? Uh, John says he came to that which was his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus himself said that he had been a stranger. He said to his own followers, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. Jesus was so strange, so unwanted, that he was crucified as a common criminal. Jesus Chosen stranger, the original chosen stranger, 
and we, the chosen strangers in the world today, following him. So is it worth it? Is it, is it, is it, worth, is it worth the choice to be a stranger? Well, doesn't it depend on the, on the chooser? On the one who's doing the choosing? You know, you're at school, you are waiting to be chosen for the lunchtime soccer team. And you don't want to be chosen by a bunch of losers, do you? You, know, you don't want to be on the team that's going to lose 17 nil in 40 minutes at lunchtime. But if, if the person that you most admire, the person that you esteem most highly, if he or she chooses you, then, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if, if other people think that you and, and that other person are strange. It doesn't matter. You feel highly privileged. It depends on the chooser. What if the chooser is God? That brings us to our second point. How we come to be chosen strangers. How do we come to be what we are? And Peter says it's all God's work. He, he envisages a chain with three links. Verse 2 says that we have been chosen, one, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, two, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, three, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Three links. Each link involves one of the persons of the Trinity. Let's think about those three links. First of all, we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What is this foreknowledge? Well, I think the best way that I can, best way that I can think of explaining it, it might not be a great way, but is to, to think about the difference between knowing about and knowing personally. So imagine the following conversation. Um, you know Tony Abbott? Yeah. Well, he says he's going to stop the boats. Yeah, that's right, I, I know. Um, so... The words, um, you know Tony Abbott, yes, says, I know who he is, I know what he looks like from TV, I know what he stands for, I know something about, about him. Let's try that conversation again. You know Tony Abbott, yeah, do you? Do you know Tony Abbott? Have you met him? Uh, yes, I, I have met him. In fact, uh, I know him really well. I'm one of his daughters. Okay? Difference between knowing about and knowing personally. Now, if you take that and you multiply it by a thousand times, but by a million times, then you might get some idea of how God knows us. God's knowing of us is a personal Loving, knowing of us. And there are people that God does not know. The Bible says that the Lord knows some people and does not know some people. Listen to how Jesus speaks about the last day in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 7. 
He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There are people that the Lord does not know in the sense of that word. Uh, of course, he knows everything about absolutely everyone. But there are people that he does not know in this deep personal sense. The foreknowledge of God means more than just he knows what's going to happen to everyone. That, Of course he does. That's not saying anything. That's just who God is. Rather, it means that God knows us and loves us personally beforehand, before anything else. There is God the Father before time sitting with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And he is knowing me. And he is loving me. And he is choosing me. Man, how that changes your life. Now, when, when pain and difficulty and trouble come into my life, I am someone whom God thought about and loved and chose before the beginning of time. He's the ultimate chooser. And if he chose me, then what can anything or anyone else do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? Now we can understand, surely we can understand, can't we, why Peter, who's writing to these Christians who are suffering terribly, why he begins with this whole matter of identity. We're going to face all kinds of why questions in our lives. Um, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to my wife? Why is this happening to my mother or my child? Why, why, Lord? Why questions can be impossible to answer, can't they? We don't know why a lot of the time. I don't know why, but this is who I am. If this is who I am, then the why questions, they, are, they may be hard, they may be tough, but they're not going to shake my basic foundation. We are chosen strangers according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Second, we are chosen strangers through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, I know that when we talk about the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we're used to talking about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in changing us from day to day after we become believers. That's true. That, that certainly happens. It's not what Peter is talking about here, though. What he's talking about here is the once-off, once-for-all work by, uh, of the Holy Spirit in every believer's life that changes us from spiritual corpses to people who are spiritually alive. In other parts of the Bible, it's called to be born again. That's what he means here in this particular phrase. 
you know, in Titus chapter 3, it's explained in these magnificent words, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing and re- of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. That, that foreknowing love of God that we talked about comes to actual expression is actually uh, uh, energized on the earth in time through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. There they are. Imagine God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit before time thinking of me, loving me, choosing me, designing my life. Designing a time when the Holy Spirit will become active in my life and will work so powerfully in my life that I will be brought to life. I will be made alive so that I can trust in Jesus Christ. It's breathtaking, I think. And and it is in Jesus that we must believe. For he gave his life, he shed his blood for me. Here's the third link in the chain. We are chosen strangers according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We are chosen strangers through the sanctifying, life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we are chosen strangers as we have obeyed the gospel, believed in him, believed in Jesus, and received sprinkling with his blood. This, this sprinkling with his blood, it... it, it It symbolizes the fact that when Jesus died, when he gave up his life, the price that he paid was enough to set us free and make us God's people. Remember that Peter is writing to people who are facing disaster. God is speaking through Peter's letter. And here's what God is saying to them. Long before you were, here's what God is saying to us. Long before you were, I loved you. Long before you existed, I thought of you. I loved you. I chose you. Jesus gave his life so that you could be spared. He rose again from the grave so that you could experience the new life that he gives. And over time, in my plan, the Holy Spirit has shaped your life and And there's come a time where he's worked powerfully in you at a particular moment to bring you to life. Your whole life is shaped by a love that was set on you before you even existed, before the beginning of time. So, who are we? We're chosen strangers. How have we become chosen strangers? Through the work of the triune God. Now, so what? What difference does that make? What what will it actually mean for our experience tomorrow? How can can we have that strong, strong sense of identity as Christians? How can we experience what Peter experienced when he changed from the denying Peter to the courageous Peter. Now, 
I'd like to just say two things to close. The first thing is, having this strong sense of identity, of Christian identity, won't change your experience so much as it will change how you experience your experience. It won't change your experience. Christians, like everyone else, will experience uh, trouble, pain, success, joy, disappointment. The best of times, the worst of times. Do you know that uh, there are two great tests facing all Christians? The two great tests are great trouble, great hardship, which will which may cause you to doubt the love of God. And the other great test that we face is success. Everything falls into place and we will begin to doubt the relevance of God. If I'm so successful, why do I need God? Success and failure are the two great tests that we face. Being a Christian won't, won't change that. It won't change your experience. You'll go through everything that other people go through. Christians suffer miscarriages, the death of children, traffic accidents, famines, floods. We share that experience with everyone else, don't we? Imagine Peter, imagine Peter telling the people that he's writing to that they won't suffer. They would were, were just tear up his letter. Yeah, right, Peter. Tell us another one. Because, uh, in fact, what Peter does is tell, tells them the opposite. He says in chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. As strangers, don't think it's strange when you suffer. Being a Christian won't change your experience. It won't exempt you from pain and hardship. But if you have a strong sense of Christian identity, if you know who you are, it can change the way you experience your experience. This trouble, this pain, this persecution I'm going through now can't change who I am. I am God's son. I am God's daughter. Nothing can change that. He knew me. He chose me before the beginning of time. This, this trouble that I'm going through, Jesus is not, God is not punishing me because Jesus has taken all the punishment for me. I don't have to bear it in my own strength, with my own energy, with my own uh, courage and perseverance. No, the Holy Spirit is in my life. He's changing me. He's giving me spiritual power. I belong to God, chosen by God, redeemed by God the Son, filled with God the Spirit. Nothing can change that. Or otherwise, you know, if you're experiencing success, uh, everything is falling into place for me. Uh, but I know that this is not happening because I'm such a tricky organizer or such a clever person or such a good worker. I know that this is happening because God is blessing me at the moment. And I know that success in this world is not that important and not, it won't last. It's nice, but it's not essential and it's not lasting. No, 
having a strong sense of Christian identity won't change your experience, but it can change the way you experience your experience. There will come a time in your life, unless the Lord returns beforehand, there will come a time in your life where you will have nothing else. You won't have health. You'll be on your deathbed. You won't have success. Nothing can support you then. All you will have will be who you are, will be your Christian identity. And so the final thing to ask is, if, that's, if it's really so important, and it is so important, if it is, how can I keep it front and centre in my life? How can I live it out from day to day? Well, the answer is going to seem pretty standard, pretty bland maybe, but it does have a massive challenge. The answer is to set good habits into your life now. Another word for, uh, maybe a more fancy word for good habits is spiritual disciplines. Good habits that will drill the gospel down into your life, into your soul. Are you committed to regular worship in a local church? Are you committed to regular Bible reading and prayer, to being part of a small group, to telling others about Jesus Christ. Now, you know them well. We speak about them all the time. They're so basic. Why do we speak about them all the time? Why are they so basic? Because they are so strategic. These small habits that you commit to lead to a lifetime of healthy engagement with God, with his word, with his people. These good habits are not optional extras. They are the only way, the only way to drill the gospel down into your life, down into your soul, down into your identity of who you are. You know, there, there will come a time where that's all you've got. Your Christian identity is all you've got. Don't wait until then to start drilling these things into your life. It's going to be too late. Start today. Understand your God-given identity. Grow in your God-given identity. Experience the power of God at work in you. Then, instead of being burned up when the heat comes, you will flourish. Shall we come to God in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we are chosen strangers in the world by, by your choice. It is your choice that has made us strangers. Help us to live as strangers here, we pray, holding rather lightly to the things of this world and instead valuing deeply the things of the world to come. Father, help us to do this 
by an increasingly strong grasp on what you are doing in our lives, on your powerful work in us. Lord, we long to be transformed into the courageous, vital agents of the kingdom that Peter was in Acts 4. We pray for a greater sense of your work in us so that we will not be ashamed, but rather courageous in our life and our witness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.